0: Hi, Osha here. Now, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you are down later the show. If this is your first episode, welcome. Glad you're a part of it. You may enjoy listening to podcasts. I'm sure you do. That's why you're here. You may not realize that podcasts, while they are free to listen to, they're not free to make. So for every episode that I make, I have to pay a few people to help me make it because they're really good at what they do and they deserve to be paid what they're worth. So I like to pay Andy, who's my audio producer, and I like to pay Rachel, who's my executive producer. So to help me pay them, occasionally you're going to hear an ad. So you might hear an ad. If you don't hear an ad, hooray. If you do hear an ad, hooray. You're helping me pay Andy and Rachel. All right, done?
1: Good. Let's get to Susie. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully. With expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact...
0: All right. I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash
1: switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You've got to constantly be selling yourself all the time. When you freelance... And you've got to be feeding the pipeline to be able to say, yes, I'm doing this, but I've got to look at six months down the track or three months down the track and what you're going to generate for that. So it is, it's hard work. You can't just sit back and go, oh, I want to wait for the phone to ring. I freelance, just doesn't ring. I've done telemarketing. You know, I've I've sold toilet paper to service stations and have had people say to me on the under the line you're wasted doing this your voice is so good you really should be in media (laughs) really yeah i agree with you
0: (laughs) that is australian tv and radio legend susie ellman and this is episode 374 of better than yesterday Welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm watching Ginsberg, and this is episode 374 of the show. Oh, my goodness. I've done a lot of these. Thank you so much for being a part of it. This is a show that is designed to help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Something you hear on this show will make you at the end of today go, you know what? Yeah, today was, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. I'm just, yeah, yeah, good. I I feel good about this one. That's it. That's all I'm here to do. I'm here every Monday and Friday. Monday, I speak with the guest. Friday, I speak with you. And every conversation is guaranteed to help you do just dad. So thank you for being a part of it. I'm Osha Ginsburg. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a podcaster. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm a hip surgery recoverer guy. I'm a spare pair of glasses misplacer uh, from Sydney, Australia. And I've been making this show since 2013. So thanks heaps for being here. Today on the show, today on the show, my guest is Australian TV and radio legend Susie Ellerman. We are going to talk about living in the industry for a very long time, making a living in the industry for a very long time, things that bosses don't do or say anymore, and hearing loss. Yeah, we get to hearing loss as well. So super quick, if you do want to email me, it's real easy, uh, send usher email at gmail.com. That's where you can find me. Oh, I'd love to see what you're looking at. So just send me a photo of what you're looking at. It's pretty cool. i love to see the view that you see when you listen to us talk about whatever we're talking about. i also love to hear about how things are going, Big thanks to uh, Rani, who got very excited uh, and emailed me really well about uh, getting up early and um, getting it done, getting the exercise done. Nice one. Nice one, Rani. Really appreciate that. Before we get into Susie and the chat with her, if Conversations with Australian Showbiz legends float your boat, you may want to scroll all the way back, nearly 300 episodes back to a conversation i had at episode 84 with richard wilkins yes the man himself all the way back with the old theme song it was a fun chat it was an eye-opening chat i was really grateful to get in the room and, and speak to him so if that's up your alley slide on back to episode 84 and check out the episode with richard wilkins
1: work hard know your product which is sometimes you and sometimes any interview that you're working on, know what you're doing, love what you're doing, and be passionate about it. And if you do that, I love a good cliche because it's the most efficient way of saying things sometimes, but you know, if you find something you love, then you never have to work a day in your life. And my mum always said, you know, darling, there are two ways of doing something. There's the easy way and, and there's the proper way. And, you know, I try to do things properly the first time, and um, then they're done. The other thing she told me was, um, if you always tell the truth, you never have to remember anything. And I love that.
0: So let me tell you about my guest today. Susie Ellman is an Australian TV and radio legend. She's best known for her work with Bert Newton on Good Morning Australia. She hosted her own chat show. She had her own chat show. It was called Susie. It was on the Wynn Network. She's a familiar face to Australians far and wide. Susie is also someone who lives with hearing loss. Now, it is Hearing Awareness Week, and as someone who wears hearing aids myself, I was happy to be able to talk with another person about what it's like, someone who understands. We get into that, and we get into a whole lot more in this wide-ranging conversation. So I'll say this. I've had a lot of people who have enjoyed long careers on this show, but rarely have I ever had someone who's so accurately spelled out how to balance the life of a freelancer like Susie. Not everyone takes a salary, all right? Some people work gig to gig. And Susie talks about life working gig to gig in a really open and frank and honest way, and I'm really, really grateful that she did that. She's absolutely solid gold. Now, this conversation does cover some tricky ground. There's a tangent where we talk about sexual assault in the workplace. I'm just letting you know that that is on the way. That is a part of this conversation. She's a bright, shiny star star. And I'm really grateful we could get the chance to speak. Enjoy this conversation with Susie Ellerman. Where in the world are you, Susie?
1: I am actually in Sydney. I'm in the Connect Hearing offices, actually.
0: Ah, fancy, fancy. Hi, team. And there's
1: Jenny behind me.
0: So where in in Australia is your home these days, Susie? Sydney. Delightful. Mm. Has it always been that way?
1: Um, I was born in Sydney. Grew up in Sydney. Yeah. Went to Wollongong to start my media career. Uh, came back to Sydney. Went back to Wollongong, and then came back to Sydney.
0: Happens now. And um, when you were a kid, what what racket were your folks in?
1: Oh well, interesting family life for me. My parents and my eldest brother came here as refugees oh. in 1950. Hmm. From where? My dad was. My dad was. A Born in Poland, he was a a Holocaust survivor and um, mum was born in Germany of a Polish father, French mother. So she was no more welcome in Germany under Hitler's reign than dad was in Poland, of course, being Jewish. So they, um, dad went through all the terrible atrocities and they came to Australia with my eldest brother, having left two other brothers that they had buried, unfortunately, in Europe and then had my other brother who's still alive, and me. So I'm the youngest of five and the only girl.
0: Wow. Right. So there's a bit of commonality there, I guess, with us. Both my folks were, were refugees at one point. My mum uh, fled the Russians out of Lithuania and wow. um, ended up in, actually, they fled with the retreating German army. And, you know, you think about it, and you obviously are very well aware uh, with what you just told me, we all knew how what at the time the Germans were up to, and that was no Mm. good. But the Germans were occupying, and when they heard, what, the Russians are coming back? Let's get the fuck out of here. Like (laughs) how much worse could it possibly have been, Mm -hmm. but bad Mm -hmm. enough that they had to get out. And they split, and then um, they ended up up in a refugee camp in the American part of Germany until 1949, and then they ended up in Adelaide. And then my dad fled the same Russians in the late sixties when they decided to crack in on Prague and went, nah, this is too much fun you guys are having this springtime. And look, so I know, and my father's family lost people in the Holocaust and I, you know, I knew what I grew up with and there was definitely a, a trauma growing up with that. When you were little, were your parents able to speak of it? Did you notice your parents were a little different from other people's parents when it came to things like authority figures and things like that?
1: Oh, 100%. We lived as Europeans inside the house and tried to live as Aussies outside the house. And in Dad's case, it was what we call now post-traumatic stress disorder. It didn't have a name back then, but we actually grew up, I guess you could say, Treading on eggshells around Dad, because we never knew when he would explode. and he he was in our you know I won't even tell you the atrocities that he went through and he had to witness in terms of most of his family murdered and most of them in front of him. So that, you know, they were certainly broken. Mum was buried alive and unconscious for three months because a bomb hit the side of her building and and so it went. So when they came to Australia, they were pretty, it was pretty traumatic. Yeah. And in dad's case, he could speak 11 languages, four fluently. It's just a shame not one of them was English.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So we get here and I'm guessing it was very similar to what my grandfather went through. They're like, well, obviously you're stupid. And he's like, I'm a fucking professor.
1: (laughs) 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 Well, what happened was they landed in Australia in February 1950. On the day they hit the ground, they were whisked away to a camp in Bathurst of all places Uh. because it was so freezing. And Dad lasted one day and he came back to Sydney and ended up finding a place to live and getting a job and it was just extraordinary what he did and held down three jobs in order to be able to pay the rent and and survive and then they built that they knew that the most important thing about becoming an Australian and succeeding was assimilating and therefore learning English was key and so there were lots of things that we did growing up well, we copped it a lot, unfortunately, as kids. Uh, having a name ending in man, <laughs> we were branded either Nazis or Nazi sympathisers, and so that was pretty hard. You know, I, I always say, as a kid, I won my last fight by about a hundred metres.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, you know, so we did do it tough, but I, you know, it's that old adage: what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And that whole sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me would always resonate with me because that was the mantra that mum sort of, you know, pumped into us, I guess. So, yeah, it was tough as uh, little wog kids growing up in the northern beaches of Sydney, but we weren't the only ones that copped it. And you always copped it for one reason or another.
0: It's interesting that, we like to think that we as a society are trying to move past that kind of thing, but that focus shifts. It just, I mean, look, you come from that part of Europe, you're not going to get more white, you know, <laughs> it's as white <laughs> as you can freaking get, you know, you're as white as oh, white. No, I can
1: have be. really olive skin though, Osha. So, yeah. well,
0: I'm the same with dad's Czech. So I, 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 I'm the same, yeah. but, you, but you know what I mean? Like as far as you're not, you're different to us. Like it seems that, we seem to keep picking a different kind of human and a different amount of melanin or a different background to be the ones that aren't the ones who can be in our gang. If you fast forward it now and someone showed up from, you know, with a Polish or German background, like a like, brilliant, come on in, we'll sort you out with English, you're fine, but you don't look like them, so you're fine. Yeah. But it just yeah. changes. It changes every time. My brother tells a great story about getting in a cab uh, with a, a Greek bloke in Melbourne not long after 9-11, and he said, you know what the best thing that ever happened to us Greeks was? When the Vietnamese came. You know, the best thing oh. that happened to the Vietnamese? When the Lebanese came. You know, the best thing yeah. that happened to Lebanese? When the Sudanese came.
1: <laughs> just like It's so true because it just shifts. And, it, and it's as you become acceptable, and I think it's what you do yourself to assimilate, I think also helps, Osha. Yeah. You know, when, when you see people succeeding, and I guess I witnessed it even more, when I went to Wollongong, because after I left school and I got a job in, oh, I got a job first of all in PR at the bank, on modelling first of all, I should say, and then PR job in the bank after I got talked into going to the Miss Australia Quest, blah, 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 and then I got a job in television. So I went down to Wollongong and I felt so at home in Wollongong because there's about 87 different (laughs) nationalities, all, you know, this beautiful melting pot in the gong. And it was really interesting to see those that came and worked at the steelworks and then started their own businesses and built up and really became pillars of the community. So I think, yes, we are still prejudiced in so many ways in this country, Mm. but if you try and prove yourself it does make it a little easier.
0: It does. And we do tend to, though, as a, as a community, we tend to shift the goalposts a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. We keep asking stuff of people, like, wow, you know, but can you name what innings Dodd Bradman got out of or whatever that stupid question <laughs> was on on the can you come into Australia test a couple of years ago. We do we do shift the goalposts a, a fair bit. But you know, it's interesting, we're a community in flux. We're we're moving, we're changing. When you first got to Wollongong, you know, this is the the early days of telly and certainly colour telly.
1: Well, I hate to break it to you, but I actually started before colour telly. Just the two
0: colours, just black and white.
1: Exactly. It was not long before, I should point out, 1974 I started, and I was involved in the telethon that went from the 28th of February to the 1st of March, 1975, when we went to colour, even though we were transmitting earlier in colour, but it didn't actually go to air. There was a lot of testing of things yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it was very early days and uh, I was very much a fledgling and was so lucky to have the most amazing group of people who were just willing to give. Oh, this mm. is how you do this, this is how you do that. And I'd go, they'd go, can you do this? i go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'd race around and go, how do you do that? <laughs> and it was just incredible. The apprenticeship went for 13 years before I got snapped up by Channel 7.
0: It must have been so astonishingly exciting because, look, honestly, this is, what, five years since technology put human beings on another rock that isn't Earth, mm-hmm. you know, and there's you're, you're in Wollongong and there's these giant pieces of valve-powered technology everywhere. It must <laughs> have been so exciting and, you know, almost people in lab coats running around making it all work. What was it? What well, was they the vibe on? Like? lab coats yeah. because
1: if you were shooting news, you shot it on film and then it had to come back and be processed through the lab before the editors cut the film. Just about everything you did was live, which was really exciting because it was in the days before videotape, dare I admit. And really I think we did more experimental television then and took more risks than what the bean counters are expecting media to do today. And I think that's the shift. The fact that back then, owners of media, and I'm talking about Packer and Fairfax and Kerry so all those people actually wanted to make television. That's what they wanted to do. Yes, they wanted to make money, but it was this exciting, let's make fabulous television. Whereas now, it's all about the dollar.
0: When you were in that kind of early live phase, what kind of things did you learn then? I mean, obviously, I'm not afraid to admit it. I just happened to be the right person on the right day when they were looking for somebody. I don't think there was, there must've been a hundred other blokes that looked like me, all right? I saw the pile of videotapes of people who were auditioning for my channel, V Job, all right? There was, I was not alone. I just happened to be the person that was there on the day. I was the one that managed to slip in through the door. When you were there and amongst it all, and you saw this incredible momentum around this new technology and this new business model and people are advertising going, my God, these things are flying off the shelves. Make another ad for us, will you? Yep. What kind of things did you you know, learn then that you still use in your career today?
1: I think one of the biggest things is multi-skilling. The fact that in regional television you had the ability to do absolutely everything and you did. And there was no preciousness. There was no ego because – you ended up having to produce and write and and host and do all of that. It wasn't a matter of saying, oh, well, I'll get get my people to come in because there weren't no people. It was just you and the people that did their jobs and you worked as a real team. And I think that was the exciting thing. Not only that, in regional television, you do behind the scenes as well. So not only was I uh, reading the news and doing my own morning women's program, but I was also the promotions manager, the marketing manager, the community service director, you know, and I won't tell you what I could have done with the broom if that had offered it to me, to, you know, to sweep the floor at the same time. And I think that's the thing, that you get so engrossed in all of that and you're just learning all the time and you don't realize how much you learn until you get somewhere else and somebody says can you do that and you go yeah and so it goes yeah so i think it's when you're involved in it at the time you know i got to coordinate telephones all sorts of things it was just when i think about what i've the things i've done and and then of course all the big names that you get to meet along the way like for instance One day, Lady Mary Fairfax hosted a program that ended up never going to air, I might add, but it still got produced. And it was a Liberace special. And it was done in Wollongong at Win TV. And my job for that day was to look after Liberace. That was my one thing. (laughs) Right. So I got to spend the entire day with Liberace. Well, should I say Lee? because he said, call me Lee, all my friends call me Lee, which was just amazing. And I had the cigarette lighter at the ready because he was a chain smoker and no one could smoke, as you know, in a television station except Liberace. No one ever said, don't like that. So everything he wanted, I was by his side for the entire day. It was just like, oh, my goodness me. And he had an a, a hilarious looking manager, Seymour, who, Honestly, he had he must have been foreign because he had Roman hands and Russian fingers and he used to chase me around (laughs) almost like Benny Hill around the studio. It was just hilarious and I always knew he was coming. He had like a toupee like my father, he was older than my father, and smoked this big fat cigar. So I knew he was coming from the smell of his cigar. You know, that was just one day in the life of of media. I
0: can't imagine what Liberace (laughs) thought of Wollongong.
1: Well, he loved it because Lady Mary brought him down in her Rolls Royce, Natch. and okay, they stopped, all right. Yes, because they stopped at the top of Bulleye Pass, where she had this picnic catered for. So they got did. out the table and the chairs and the tablecloths and all the food. So Liberace okay. had lunch on the top of Bulleye Pass, which has got one of the most beautiful views of the south coast of New South Wales. Oh, it's glorious! And then he came down to the studio and. For some reason, Wind TV has always had a grand piano.
0: Just in case Liberace one. ever just pops by.
1: And that was tuned and, and, and he just couldn't believe how beautiful the piano was. And it was just the most bizarre day.
0: Were you in charge of finding the candelabra?
1: <laughs> nobody wore them on his fingers ah. and to sort of make conversation and he would tell me about all of the rings he wore and and what diamonds and all the stories yeah it was it was remarkable
0: my favorite Livarashi story uh, he played a guy used to i used to be a roadie and the bass player's mum went to go see him when he played at festival hall in Brisbane oh, wow. where I used to do the boxing, yep. right? And he goes from the front row, he's, you know, he's got the cape and everything, and he stands up from the piano to have a chat with the crowd. He goes to a lady in the front row, you like my ring, you paid for it.
1: <laughs> 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 That's right.
0: Glorious, absolutely glorious.
1: And he was, but he, there was no pretension about yeah. him. wow. Although he'd had so many facelifts. I should send you the f- a photo with he and I. It's hilarious. And my really good mate was the makeup artist at, at Win TV, and he sat in the chair, and at one point she didn't know if he was asleep or not because of his terrible face lift oh, and the, the eyes had been pulled that tight. Goodness me.
0: Oh, boy. Own. So when you... I I know what it was like, you know, in my experience to have gone from cable to then free to air. And then I also was fortunate enough to have the experience of of doing telly in the States. But this is after the bean counters that you spoke of definitely got involved. When you went from regional to metro, what was the biggest thing that you you noticed the difference of?
1: Well, for me, it was it was really weird because when I got the job at Wynn TV to start with, it was to host a morning women's program. But by the time I packed up and moved to Wollongong, the show had folded because the sponsor, David Jones, had moved and done the show in Sydney, which became Maureen Duval's show. And so they said, don't worry, we'll find lots of things for you to do at Wynn. And I stayed there for 13 years. Then Channel 7 poached me to co-host 11am with Ross Simons. So once again, came back to Sydney. But what had happened was that they decided to put Ann Sanders and Richard Zachariah on the evening news. So they left Ross at 11am. So I arrived at Channel 7 and again, had no job to go to. And they said, don't worry, you're under contract. We'll find lots of things for you to do and once again I, I became the bridesmaid so I would do the weather fill in I would do the news breaks I would fill in for Clive Robertson and that was sort of like the big he was away and John Willisey was hosting the program while he's away and John had met a girl in New York and wanted to spend New Year's Eve with her. so I said well I'm happy to do it and all the crew said to me oh my god wait till Clive finds out that a woman's hosting his program blah, blah, blah. but it was just amazing. It was so fantastic. And when Clive came back, I met him and he gave me, first of all, the dead fish handshake. <laughs> but he was fantastic. People say he's a misogynist, but he certainly is not.
0: You spoke earlier about Liberace's manager chasing around a studio and you know, yes. with Benny Hill style and, and this idea that a crew member would verbalise to you, wait till such and such finds out a woman is hosting his program. It's hard to believe that within your and my lifetime, the attitudes towards women in the workplace, particularly the media workplace, were such things. But you lived it. You were there. Mm -hmm. When did you first realise that, hang on a second, this isn't a meritocracy?
1: (laughs) (laughs) The interesting thing about Win TV was that the people that worked there didn't care if you were a woman or not. There was really no uh, distinction. I was so lucky to have really good bosses who saw the person not necessarily what sex they were. It wasn't until I came back up to Sydney that I realised how much it was a male-dominated industry. And then when I got into talkback radio on 2GB, oh, my God, that just took it to a whole new level again. So, yes, it is changing, Osho.
0: What was the 80s kind of 90s talkback radio situation like? Because I listen to it now. I'm like, guys, guys, no, seriously, guys, like the the clock, the calendar has turned. It's not 1968.
1: (laughs) Well, I did 2GB from 1994 through until 2016. And so I saw huge changes, of course. But in talkback radio and commercial talkback radio, still not enough women. Unfortunately. Oh my God! Uh, so while we have made leaps and bounds in a lot of ways, it's nowhere near what it should be, and, and that goes to corporate level as well. There are a lot of businesses that do feature a lot of women, which is fantastic, but it isn't as widespread as people think it is.
0: Is there one particular moment that kind of sums up when you went right? That's it. I'm not standing for this. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna do something.
1: No, you can't say anything because if you say anything, you don't get another job. So you have to roll with the punches and you have to go, well, I didn't get that. And I guess being retrenched from Channel 7, when Christopher case went belly up in 1990 and about 87 of us got retrenched from Channel 7. And so that's when I started my freelancing and realized that I had to broaden my base far more than just relying on being a television presenter. So emceeing and radio and, you know, corporate work and all sorts of things, a little bit of training. So all of the things that you have to spread your base in order to survive.
0: I guess I'm asking, like, was there, you know, I don't know, you've talked about this, that you'd follow the protocol, you'd bring things up, you go, hang on a second, you go to the upper management and you go, "Uh, look, guys, this is going on. Someone's either, you know, making weird phone calls to me or someone's being, you know, quite inappropriate. Can you do something about it? And then kind of, nothing happening, what did that feel like?
1: Well, I wouldn't say nothing was happening. I've unfortunately spent my career having to ward off obscene phone calls, stalkers, death threats, all of those things, unfortunately, that come with anyone with a profile. And in the case of, you know, like Rolf Harris, we had him come to a Tonight Show that we were producing in Wollongong and my job was to look after all the guests And he was trying to actually chase the work experience girl. He was more interested in her. But when it came to saying goodbye to him, he actually gave me the full-on grope. I mean, the full-on hands down into the bottom, we won't go any further. Yes. And that was kind of, he did it, and he's obviously done it millions of times before because he did it and no one else saw it. And so when he left in his chauffeur-driven car and I said to the girls at reception, did you see that? It was like, and, yes, you report it to management, but what are they going to do, call the police? There was really nothing you could do. And I think that's happened. You know, I've been offered the casting couch. There's all those things that have happened throughout a career. As a woman and I might add I've never taken it because I think I would have been far higher up in, in my <laughs> career if I had of you know, the benefit of hindsight and age. You think, well, maybe if I had of, <laughs> you can only sleep your way to the middle, the rest takes talent. It is 100% true. <laughs> but have you ever is. Usher, I'll put it back to you. Have you ever been in that position where you've been compromised, where someone's wanted you to do the casting couch?
0: I... I was actually just thinking about this the other day, Susie. Um, I have. I didn't realise what was going on at the time. I was very naive, even though I was 32 or something. I was blonde. I was on idle. And I ended up with this film director, this American film director, in my house, in my apartment, and promising me, you know, all kinds of wonderful things. And it was after about an hour and a half that I realised, Oh goodness me! He's waiting for me to. Oh right, uh, yeah. Because I think he was he was wandering by when we did the Channel V yep uh, studio at Fox Studios. We were outdoors, and I think he was working out the back at Fox on something. And he was wandering by, and he said, "Oh, I want to talk to you about the screenplay." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'll be on, <laughs> in a movie." And sure enough, then I said, all well, these in his he's in my house, he's in my apartment, and he's sitting on my couch. And I'm like, "Oh, he's waiting." For... Oh. Oh, this is where it. Oh, right. This is the part. Okay. Well, I've got to go. Uh, can you leave now? Yeah. Uh, it was a very odd. Very odd situation, but it was never kind of verbalised to me. I, I, you know, I was kind of assuming. Well. It was, very, it was fairly obvious without being spoken, but exactly. I dare say you would have had to deal with it being quite spoken you'd have dealt with it and <laughs> being that's quite verbalised. Sure,
1: at what point do you then say, ah, you know, you, you're you better off just copying it on the chin going, oh, okay, I won't put myself in that situation anymore or try not to. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. Today it's a given that people will report it, and I guess the whole Me Too movement has made yeah. that okay for some people to do, but I still think that it can be a career breaker.
0: Yeah. I certainly hope that young women working in our industry today can at least acknowledge the barriers that people like yourself have, mm. have had to knock over. And put up. Um, if you were, uh, well, like we, I know you do training stuff and you do mentor young people. If you were to speak with a, a, a young woman who's looking to get into media or looking to get into broadcasting today, what, what would you say to her?
1: I would say get a second career. <laughs> it's great to want to be in, in, in media, but media today, Osha, is a shell of what it used to be. And and it's not just COVID. It's a combination of so many things. There's media has been brought up the whole when regional television became uh, aggregation instead of multi-channel services, where suddenly you've now got big networks that stretch across the country instead of individual stations where you learnt your craft and then moved up automation with radio, where you no longer do the, the country circuit on radio. All those things are now missing. And so, therefore, the jobs just aren't there. How many journalist jobs are left these days? Uh, very few. So for people to say, oh, I want to be a TV presenter, it's like, well, that's nice. But make sure you get something that's actually going to see you through your career that's going to bring you in regular money as well.
0: And when it comes to the way you approach your career, whatever that may be, say people don't want to be a, a, a TV presenter, the way you approach each job, each workday, what would you say to that?
1: You've got to treat it like I do that it is the most important job that you do because if you treat each job like it's a client and therefore you've got to make that client happy with the job you do to 100% because you've got to say, are they going to hire me again? And I think that's really important. And if people take that attitude rather than the boss owes me something, and, oh, I'll just have my allotted day off now because I haven't had a sick day since I've been here, to me is a really bad attitude. You've got to go there as though you've earned the job and you want to keep the job.
0: I think with well, the way you're speaking there, you know, I can definitely relate to, and it's very, very recent that I was unemployed. I was just about 40 and unemployed yeah. for six months. Yes. Before I got bachelor, I had no job. So someone going, oh, geez, you're busy, mate. I'm like, yes, yeah, because unemployed me keeps saying yes to every gig. Exactly. <laughs> and I'll figure it out later because I know that jobs go away. I've chosen, for some reason, I've chosen a very seasonal industry mm. to excel at. And to practice and to work at being really good at. Now, bear in mind, the paychecks that do come in reflect that. They're like, okay, this might be the only 10 weeks of work you get this year. And we want to be sure that you're not at any other show Mm. to, to give this show a bit of a punch. So the paycheck will reflect that. But then you go, all right, how am I going to make this 10 weeks money last six months, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to
1: make sure that six months later there's something else. <laughs> exactly, and that's the juggling that you have to do and therefore you earn people's respect and they want to work with you again. But it is difficult because the jobs are drying up and with not mm. having extra strings to your bow, it is really hard then to sit around and say, well, the phone's not ringing. You've got to make the phone ring.
0: Tell me about making the phone ring.
1: You've got to think about what your skills are and therefore what you can do in order to generate income with the skills that you have. Having chutzpah, and I think that's where you differ from others, Osha. You might say that you turn up to an audition and there's, you know, 20 other people that look similar to you and what have you, but it's that it factor, it's that chutzpah, it's that being able to um, shine ahead of somebody else. That you have to do. You've got to constantly be selling yourself all the time when you freelance, and you've got to be feeding the pipeline to be able to say, Yes, I'm doing this, but I've got to look at six months down the track or three months down the track and what you're going to generate for that. So it is, it's hard work. You can't just sit back and go, Oh, I want to wait for the phone to ring. I freelance. Just doesn't ring.
0: I tried that once. That's how I ended up unemployed. (laughs) I got too used to the phone ringing without me having to do anything, and then when that stopped ringing, I'm like, "Oh what? Oh, I see what's happened (laughs) here." Had to kind of
1: and and you've got to be prepared to roll with the punches. Yeah, to be able to say, not do a Linda Evangelista and say, "I'm not getting out of bed for under ten grand." You have to say, okay, well, this is going to tide me over for this, and I've got to do that, and, you know, without compromising your integrity, of course. Someone asked me the other day, how long are you going to host bachelor for? I'm like, I've got a mortgage and school fees. What the fuck do you think? Exactly. <laughs> as long as I can. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, I've done telemarketing. You know, I've I've sold toilet paper to service stations and have had – people say to me on the under the line you're wasted doing this your voice is so good you really should be in media (laughs) really yeah I agree with you (laughs) (laughs) not much around at the moment but I agree with you
0: so you and I actually have not only do we have the parenting kind of fleeing Europe situation in common you and I also have something else in common Susie you and I both have we both have hearing loss
1: Yes, we
0: both live with hearing loss. We both live with hearing loss. I have profound hearing loss in my left ear and no one needs to know how loud these headphones I'm wearing are turned up, but you can bet you by golly, wow. If I get too close to this mic here, they will feed back.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I've been living with hearing loss for all of my life, or pretty much all of my life, but I didn't realise that I didn't have as much hearing loss as others that I worked with in radio until I plugged my headsets in and you'd nearly get it blown out of your ears because they would have been turned up. So many people, Osha, live with hearing loss and don't do anything about it, which is ridiculous.
0: I absolutely, when I first started doing voiceovers in Sydney, when I first got here about when I was 25, I, I won't say the name of the voiceover artist, but let's just say you hear this person telling you exactly what's going to happen tonight on a certain television network. <laughs> You'd come in and they'd turn the slate mic on and go, okay, you're all right. And the cans would just about jump off the floor the drivers were moving that much. Yes. And you'd see these, these headphones that would get made. There was a particular brand called AKG, they, and I used to wear them in radio. They had four drivers in them, two up, two down. They were like a small PA that you would put on your head <laughs> exactly for that. I think my hearing loss, my tinnitus started when I was about 17. Well, I was a roadie and I was exposing mm-hmm. myself to very loud music every night of the week as a roadie. And so the, the ringing in my ears stopped going away when I was about 17. But it wasn't until about my 30s that I really noticed it being significantly impactful on my ability to communicate with others. How, you know, what, what was the moment in your life that you noticed, oh, hang on, this is not good. I can't hear as well as other people can.
1: I think I've always had some sort of hearing loss because I remember at school having to sit up the front of the class. I didn't need to not see. I could obviously not hear as well but it was really in my 20s when I was working at Win TV and people used to say to me you don't need a microphone your voice is so loud and I think no it's not but of course it wasn't until I got hearing aids I realized how loud my voice was but that I couldn't hear my own voice and that's why people with living with hearing loss tend to sort of talk a lot louder but my hearing loss is the same in both ears and unlike most people I haven't lost the top end of my hearing. Ah. I can hear a pin drop. I just can't hear conversation. Ah. So I've lost the lower register. And it wasn't until I started being treated by the Connect Hearing team. And we should point out that you and I are both ambassadors for Connect Hearing, which I'm thrilled to say. And I've worked with probably about half a dozen different audiologists over the years and I learned something new from each and every one of them and I was talking to one of them only a couple of months ago and she was saying it's really interesting your hearing loss I've been looking at because they test you all the time and she said have you ever had Meniere's all right and I looked it up and what have you and when we spoke about I realized that I've had three bouts of this what they call Meniere's And I'm sure that's what's now contributed, I realise, to my particular type of hearing loss. So I've lost about 60% of my hearing and it's evenly between both my ears. Yeah.
0: That's, that's really interesting because well very different kinds of things can contribute to mm. hearing loss. me, it's industrial deafness. it's just straight Be up. Nice. It's, it's just loud, 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 loud loud and that's mm. I'm bog standard uh, and I unfortunately I fit right into the statistics. I knew I needed hearing aids around 2009. yep I didn't get them until around 2016. 2015. Yeah. So the the exact seven years that most people wait.
1: So was that your doing? Oh, no, no,
0: no. Right. So it started when I was living overseas and I noticed my ex-wife, I'd be like, look, if you're not in the room, don't say stuff to me. Because if you're not in the room, I just can't hear you. And <laughs> um, I was down in Sydney to do the last season of Idol and I I went to go see an audiologist and he did my test and he goes, if I didn't know better, I'd say you're a 64 year old boiler maker who never wore his hearing protection. He was South African. I said, but you know, I'm 34 at this point in time. And, that was what it looked like. I had just nothing above 3K. But I knew from years before that, and you'll love this story, I was, cause we're doing these big Channel V shows, massive live bands, it was PAs. It was loud, 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 2001, 2002. And I was signing autographs after the show because I'm so famous, Susie. I don't know if you realise. <laughs> I'm signing autographs after the show and we're in Shepparton. And this girl comes up and she's got this poster or whatever for me to sign it. She goes, oh, can you make it out to Farrah? I'm like, yeah, sure. That's unreal. What a great force enforcement page. It's brilliant. I love, you know, that. Next girl comes on, you know, it's Jenny, whatever, and Farrah. I'm like, watch well, Charlie's angels must have been massive here. Farah, there you are. Fantastic. Thanks for that. Pass the poster on. Three or four people later, Farrah. I'm like, what the hell's happening here? This is incredible. And she goes, no, Farrah with an F. F for Fally." And I went, oh, you're saying Sarah, but I'm hearing it as an F. (laughs) And- I was flabbergasted because as someone who'd always been a musician and played in bands and, you know, I'd Mm. always had this extraordinary ability to hear and particularly pick up languages and particularly mimic to the point where I could speak a language and reply to someone without an accent if they were teaching me a new Mm. word in a foreign language, right? And I would describe it in the same way as someone who'd always played music and someone who'd always been a musician, the same way an artist, you and I will look at a tree and go, yeah, the leaves are green. An artist will go, I can see 167 greens on that tree. What are you talking about? Mm. Similarly, the nuances of sound I could discern. And I was very proud of that and I was really attached to it. And then suddenly I'm faced with this reality of like, I have lost that and it's permanent nerve damage and it's never coming back. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing. But then it was only seven years later that I saw the bloke, uh, the South African fella, and then It was only after that, and again, another seven years later. So we're talking 14 years from when I knew to when I did something about it. Mm -hmm. I had been living alone after I got divorced. I'd been living alone for a couple of years, so no one needed to know that I watched the telly with subtitles. All (laughs) right? No one needed to know how loud (laughs) I... still do. Oh, yeah, me too. That's not to wake the baby, so I say. No one had (laughs) to know that I'd watched the telly so loud. No one had to know how loud I had my phone and I had Mm -hmm. my headphones, whatever. When I started living with Audrey and Georgia... I noticed that it had begun to degrade my relationship. Every time I said, what, huh, they would just get a little bit more pissed off. And it was just like throwing a little bit of sandpaper between us every time. And I saw that it was starting to degrade how they felt about me. When they spoke to me, they were like, okay, I've got to talk to him now. And he's not going to hear what I'm saying. His brain's going to make up words. He's going to get angry or upset. Because I would start going, what? We don't even have a cat. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I just yeah. my brain would hear the first thing. I'd react to what my brain thought it was. And I'd get, I'd, no, I'm, I'm talking about the hat, you numbskull. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you're saying. And that's when I went. That's when I went to get him, get him put in.
1: Actually, there's a fellow I worked with many, many years ago. Both his parents were profoundly deaf. And it was so frustrating for him because they wouldn't get any hearing aids or anything like that. And he got to the stage where he would say to them, if he was trying to talk to them, he would say to them, mumble, mumble, mumble. And they'd say, what? And then he'd have their attention and he'd only have to say it once. (laughs) But he said it was still so frustrating. And of course, back in those days, same with me, I had hearing loss before I could even get hearing aids that would help me because my hearing loss wasn't at a point where I could be helped. And then in those days, it was purely putting a microphone in your ear, basically, with a few little tweaks. And now the technology that has gone into hearing aids, to me, they're just marvellous.
0: They're <laughs> Pretty interesting.
1: You know, because it's not only are you able to hear people, but you're able to answer your phone and it comes through your hearing aids. Yeah. You're able to listen to your, you know, whatever's coming off your phone. You're able to do all those things that you couldn't do, you know, living with hearing loss.
0: When you started wearing hearing aids, because I know for me, I started to do things. I didn't realize I was doing things. I started to not want to go to a dinner party. All right? Not Mm. because I didn't like the people. I didn't understand why. It's because it sounded like the Peanuts parents in the Peanuts cartoons. I'm like, I just sit there. I feel like I might be at a table with 10 people. What I can't hear anybody saying, Uh, bored. And I didn't realize why I was saying no to want to go. Mm. Did you
1: find that? Very much so, and I think that's the whole thing about isolation is that that's what people do. You tend to say, oh, no, I don't want to do that because you know that you're not going to be able to enjoy it with a group because if two people are talking at the same time, you haven't got a hope of knowing what either of them are saying. And not only is it frustrating for people to have to repeat themselves, but it's frustrating to have to keep asking people to repeat themselves. And if someone maybe has an accent, it makes it even harder because your brain's going, now, what are they trying to say? Because as you say, your brain fills in uh, the bits that it thinks that it needs to hear or it should be hearing mm. so yeah it, it really can be so so frustrating and a relationship breaker in so many cases
0: yeah and really isolating you're really isolating really? and it was only really? when i it was only, it was a long time before i realized that's why i was saying no to social events it was long i just mm. didn't want to go and then once i did get you know, the first lot of hearing aids that started to be really quite good because it's very difficult. If you're in a, a restaurant with tiles on the floor, you know, <laughs> tiles on the walls <laughs> and mm-hmm. everyone's talking at once and it's like, what are we going to do tonight? We're going to go eat pasture and shout. <laughs> <laughs> and That's yeah. And you're in a room with 40 yeah. people doing that. You know, it's bloody hard, man.
1: Oh, it really is. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's why, again, when you you can get so many things to assist you now, mm. there's so many wonderful things now that people don't have to put up mm. with hearing loss.
0: And I guess as well as like, if it's somebody in your life who's trying to deal with it, and they may feel reluctant. I mean, I guess you know to put it, what anybody ever asked me, I'm like, they're glasses for my ears. You don't blink when I put my glasses on. You know, you got no problem at all. And I'm like, hang on a sec. You want to show me something in your phone? Wait a sec. And I got to get my glasses so I can see them. Like, yes, the biggest problem I have with my hearing aids is that our baby boy wants to yank them out of my my ears because he sees this different thing and he goes, "Oh, what's that?" Yeah. And he goes to, "Yeah, I want
1: to play with that." Pull
0: them out of my ear. So if I've got him on my shoulders, I can't have him in because because <laughs> he just goes, "This looks fun." <laughs>
1: <just> pull it,
0: <laughs> pull it right a out.
1: Really good analogy, Osher, of, of glasses yeah. versus. His. It's exactly the same. You wouldn't ever think to not wear glasses if you can't read why would you not get hearing aids and I think it is that there's that stigma that's attached and I think it's wonderful for someone who and and you are young you don't think you're young wait till you get my age and you'll think (laughs) Susie was right I was young way back then but it is because I think it's wonderful for you to be able to let people know what a difference it's made to your life because whether it's been industrial deafness whether it's been a misspent youth because i went and saw a lot of live bands as well and we used to come out of the venues with your ears ringing and i'm sure all of that's contributed it's a bit like you know when you go out in the sun the sun remembers everything you do to it your skin rather remembers everything you do to it and the same thing i think the things we do through our life that we don't realize has impacted so much regardless of how you got there and we all get there in different ways you don't have to put up with it anymore and that's what i love about the fact that there are so many things on the market today mm. so many different models like i've tried i've been so lucky to have trialled just about every hearing aid known to man and there's one for instance i don't know if you you talk about glasses this is the contact lens for oh,
0: the Oh they they go and right inside hey, your ear yes. i have um I don't know, Susie. I don't like to talk about this. You know, like, but as I'm a I'm a man and I'm I'm proud to say it. I have I have very very small ear canals. Yeah, they're just not that long.
1: I'm here now.
0: I'm sorry. I mean, I you know, I've never had any complaints, but my ear canals just aren't that long, Susie. So they can't actually get in me.
1: <laughs> like, in this case, size does matter. Size does matter.
0: <laughs> yeah, I tried those ones. Yeah, they're the, they're the well, ones that are sitting there for like 12 weeks. Amazing.
1: Oh, it's just extraordinary. When I tried, and I'm like you, you, I haven't got small ear canals. I've got kooky ear canals yeah. that do all these strange, sort of twisted ways. So I wasn't suitable for lyric either. But when I did trial them, my. Goodness, it's the closest thing that's ever brought my hearing back yeah. to how it used to be. And all the tinnitus or tinnitus went. Oh, wow. Completely.
0: Wow. Because
1: you get really close to the eardrum. It doesn't, I mean, it's just minutely in your ear. It's not sort yeah. of, you know, and I just found that was remarkable. And I know people who just swear by that.
0: What would you say to people who have listening to this and have someone in their life that they need to talk to about? their hearing loss, how do you even start that conversation? Because it can be, as you mentioned, there is self-stigma around it. There's stigma about hearing loss Mm -hmm. and people may be reluctant to have it brought up. How would you say is the best way to go about it?
1: Well, I think it's got to come from... You've got to want to do it, naturally enough, but if people are honest with the people that they're really close to and just say, look, this is just not working, you know, this is too frustrating for me and obviously too frustrating for you, it's upsetting... If you don't want to do yourself a favour, do me a favour and at least just go and get your hearing checked. I think that's the first thing. And the great thing about getting your hearing checked is that you can do it exactly like you and I are talking now. You can do it through a telehealth. It's so remarkable. You don't even have to get out of your living room anymore to find out anything about your hearing. All my audiologist appointments now, if I need a tweaking or what have you, it's done over over the internet. Wow. It's extraordinary. The
0: people may not realise that the the way hearing aids are now, remember back in the day if your parents or grandparents or whatever, they had a hi-fi with a graphic equaliser on it? The kids, don't touch that. The bass was just perfect for the room. you know. So they can check where your hearing is. Like for me, for example, I have, like I said, profound, I've got nothing above 3K in my left ear, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's full tilt, right? So what they do is they can pump up to basically compensate for that. Mm. So they check where your deficiencies are and they pump that up in your particular zone. But then if they need to change that equalisation whatever, they're not just amplifying the sound that you get. What they do is they, much like your glasses, they compensate for what you can't hear versus just make everything louder because I've had ones Mm. that make everything louder and not fun. I went to a Logies with them once. I'm like, these are getting turned off.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It, you can hear yourself chewing.
0: Oh, that's no fun. Uh, which I will no. say, the great, the wonderful thing about hearing aids, you can put them in and you can turn them off. So people think you've got them in, people think you're listening, <laughs> but really, you're just in your own little peaceful world.
1: And you don't have to well, worry. The great thing is when you take them out at night, you can sleep because you don't get interruptions. It's like blissful. Honestly,
0: and I- Susie, uh, and I make this joke often, but. When I take my hearing aids out at night, I make the same noise my wife makes when she takes her briar <laughs> off at the end of a long day. I take them out and huh? I'm like, oh... Because look, I'm not going to lie, right? Because for a long, long, long time, as I've mentioned, since I was like 17, 18, whatever, mm. uh, but it's obviously gotten worse since my 30s, for at least 14, 15 years, I haven't been listening to the full spectrum of information, all right? So mm. suddenly my brain is gone from 16 colours to 26 million colours. It's a lot of brain processing to go on when I first got my hearing aids I could only have them in for like an hour or two at a time because I would just get so tired I'm like what am I doing why am I tired because my brain Mm. is working so hard to process all this extra information that's coming in and look I'm not going to lie at the end of the day when I take them out it's (laughs) in the little Mm. box they go in the little they go have a little coffin where they recharge (laughs) then they arise in the morning
1: I like
0: to call them a pod. Oh, they're a pod, are they? Oh, my, I watch a lot of what we do in the shadows, so they're like they go in their little coffin at night and they go and recharge. But yeah, I think you're right because it was actually it was my mum and my my now wife who told me because I probably wasn't mm. going to get anything done. Mm. But it was my mum, bless her. She's not with us anymore, but she was a doctor, and she and um, she goes, if you don't work that part of your brain it can lead to cognitive dysfunction later on because if you yeah. don't use it, you lose it and bits of your brain yeah. start shutting down. So I went and got my hearing checked. Now, thankfully, I don't have the kind of hearing loss that causes that, but there is a hearing loss that will.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If your brain yeah. just goes, oh, we're not using this much processing, okay, I guess that we're not needed, goodbye. And it can mm-hmm. lead to issues there, which is no good. But it was between her and Audrey who's just like – you're going to have to get this sorted out because this is a real problem between us. Thankfully, she doesn't. Oh, the deal
1: breaker. She doesn't mean words. I for my closest friend because her mother has profound hearing loss her husband does and me so between all three of us it's you know she's going insane Right. at least I I do the hearing aids and the teletext and all the sort of things that make life a lot easier for me yeah but it's I think it's really frustrating for the people around you and it's not fair for them yeah and I think you owe it to them to at least go and get your hearing tested, yeah. And the great thing is that they'll trial you. They'll show you exactly what's available, yeah. And away you go. And then you go, and then you, if that's great for you. And as you say, the tweaking that goes on, it is. It's like getting a prescription for your ears, yeah. Like you would get a prescription for your eyeglasses. It's a prescription yeah. for your particular hearing loss, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's the great thing that no two are the same. So if I were to try and wear your hearing aids, that it, it would just blow my mind, and you'd be going, what, what, what?
0: Yeah. You wouldn't want to put my hearing aids in, I'm telling you. <laughs> and,
1: and, and vice versa. I telling you. Right you know, because it wouldn't do you any good. So, you and I right think now. that's the great thing, that technology is now so remarkable. Yeah,
0: it's pretty fascinating. Like, because it blows beca- me away. Because of where my hearing loss is. So we're talking about frequency spectrums, right? We can hear from, should be able to hear from 20 hertz, 20 cycles a second to 20,000 cycles a second, all right? And mm-hmm. the... The S's and T's and all that sort of stuff happens around four, between four and 6K, four or 6,000 cycles a second. I can't hear it really above 3K. So, what my hearing aids are able to do is they're able to take those frequencies, pitch shift them. Because even if they put them up as loud as they could, I still couldn't hear it. My hearing loss is that busted in my left ear, at least. They pitch shift them down to where I can hear them and they do it live. And it's bananas. The yes. technology that's available. And I was told that the biggest problem of getting my hearing aids would be that you'll forget to wear them. That's the biggest problem. And they're right. That's the biggest problem I have. I, I leave the house without them. I'm like, oh, goodness. You really? Yeah, yeah. If I forget to wear them, if I forget to put them in. Particularly now what? in lockdown, because well, if I'm just around the house and I'm just kind of not doing much, I'll, I'll tend not to wear them around the home sometimes. And that can be like, oh, God. And then it gets to the end of the night. So I, I put them in at night time when we're having dinner with everybody. But I'm not going to lie. Um- COVID-19 has been a total bummer because they're not, no, you know, not everything is everything. Okay. So you still rely on everything. You rely on the context of the situation. You rely on people's body language. You rely on whatever. When people are wearing masks, I can't bloody lip read Susie. Oh,
1: tell me about it. That's one of the biggest, I couldn't agree with you more Osha. Oh my gosh. Masks. It's been a nightmare Of gigantic (laughs) proportions. And most people have been really nice. And I think that's one of the things where you have to be honest with people. And that's what I say to people all the time. I go, look, I'm really sorry. I live with hearing loss. I'm not able to understand. And most people are pretty good, except I encountered a fellow uh, the other day where he had a mask on and I was trying to ask him and he's going, don't step in the door. And I'm going, no, no, I'm not. I'm just trying. And he goes, don't come near me. And I'm going, I can't hear you through your mask. If I don't stand here, I am not. I don't know what you're saying. And he got really uptight. He's the first one. Right. Everybody else just pulls it down and, and chats. We don't want to pull really
0: it down. Good. You know, I, I just rely on big body language. Because uh, you know, I both understand. I understand that we, you know you, we don't want to be breathing each other's air. But you know, I do. I do have to point out, and I actually, I just say to people now, say, so "I'm sorry, look, I've got you know, I wear hearing aids, and yeah. I rely on lip reading as well to be able to get by." So, can you say that again,
1: please,
0: <laughs> Susie? I'm so grateful that you had the time today to talk to me. It's not often that I get a chance to speak to someone who has been in my industry since it's, you know, the inception of the modern version of our industry, okay, and to hear your story of how you went through that time in our industry's history and how you managed to diversify and persevere, I certainly think a lot of people would definitely have gotten something from listening to you talk, and I'm just so grateful that we got to talk about hearing loss because I don't really get a chance to talk about that much, but it is a big (laughs) part of my life.
1: Absolutely.
0: I'm stoked that you had a chance to come on the show today. Thank you so much, Susie.
1: Me too. Thank you and all the best. And I hope we get to uh, do something live with each other at some point.
0: One of these days. One of these days will be. I'll, I'll, you know what I'll get? I'll get a, a, th- a mask with a flexible LED screen on the front of it that does a 3D animation of my lips moving.
1: See, there's Million Dollar Idea right there, Osha. Get the phone. Right there.
0: Get the phone, Susan. Maybe
1: a transparent mouse.
0: I'm calling Alibaba.
1: There's our Million Dollar Idea.
0: There it is there it is we're away you're the best susie <laughs> have a cracking day love thanks for talking to me take care that was susie ellman thank you so much uh, for being a part of the show thank you for listening to the show thank you to rachel barrett my ep thanks to andy ma my audio producer and uh, mike mills who made all the music and uh, Haley who made all the social stuff thanks heaps for making it part of the, making the show with me guys and thank you for listening to the show i'll be back here on friday if you need me between now and then, just shoot me an email and send us email at gmail.com. That's it. We're done. Done like a dinner. Speaking of dinner, I better go upstairs and make a baby dinner. All right. Until I talk to you on Friday, sleep well and dream of the beautiful thing.